Community Voice Podcast, episode number 42. Entertaining, educational, and encouraging content that makes a difference. This is GSPN.TV. Join the community. Well, hello and welcome back to another episode of the Community Voice Podcast. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what I'm going to say next. I'm doing something a little bit different with this episode. I am recording the introduction to our conversation with Mike Skiff today before the conversation actually takes place. In fact, we're scheduled to start our conversation in five minutes from right now. Mike is somebody who I had the honor of serving as his coach and also had him as a member of the Next Level Mastermind AM group from September 22nd, 2019, all the way through June, uh, through the end of June 2021. Uh, again, yet another person that I had the privilege of watching a business owner navigate the the changes of COVID-19 and navigating through the pivots of what, what does this mean for my business as companies are closing down and uh, the the disruption to the economy and all that other stuff. I was super excited to see how Mike continued to grow through that process and had greater clarity. And And I have no idea what we're going to talk about today, but it it was just an incredible honor to have Mike Skiff as a client for 21 full months. And my life is better after knowing him. Uh, he happens to be one of the handful of clients who have uh, been a coaching client or a paid mastermind group member where I also had the opportunity to meet him face-to-face. And I did that on a trip to Colorado back in October 2019. I went out there with my son to uh, invest in a passion of his around gaming. He was doing a Dota 2 uh, um, what do they call that, uh, tournament, and so went out there, spent 10 days with my son, and I actually had an opportunity to meet Mike face-to-face. It was very cool at the very early part of our coaching relationship. So without any further ado, here's the conversation I'm about ready to have with Mike Skiff. Mike Skiff, how are you, my friend? Cliff, I'm going to steal your line. I've never been better, and it gets better every single day. I love to hear that. That's incredibly awesome. Uh, let's see here. First question, what's the last trip that you took in the big uh, camper with the family? The last trip, we went to, where did we go? We went to Fort Flagler, which is out on the coast kind of the Puget Sound uh, on the coast in Washington State, which is where I hail from. And uh, it was was beautiful. It was gorgeous. How far are you from Forks, Washington? Twilight Zone. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, It's probably, I would guess, two and a half, maybe three-hour drive. Oh, that's not too far. Have you gone? I have. uh, Because you're a massive Twilight fan? Big time, yeah. Not <laughs> I am. <laughs> I can say I've never read any uh, or watched any of this stuff. Not that I'm like against or anti or anything like that. I just wasn't interesting to me. Um, 
but yeah, we, so we drove through forks on the way to another campground in Claylock, which is, it's a little past for it's like at the end of the road. Like you literally can't go any further before the, the Western coast of Washington, where the actual ocean is not the Puget sound. Um, th- there's this big old weird, weirdly there's this rainforest and there's these mountains and you just can't pass through a certain area. So you get to like the end of the road. And if you want to get like 10 miles South of there, you got to go all the way back around. And uh, anyway, probably <laughs> not that interesting uh, to share, but it is pretty, it's a pretty cool part of, America, the world, um, where I sit, but yeah. So when we drove through, this is probably 10 years ago that we went to this campground. Um, but it was when you drive through forks, there's a whole lot of like twilight stuff. Oh, right? I, I, is, dude, I'm totally going to forks, Washington one of these days. Yeah. Yeah. You should. I mean, it might be a little disappointing because there is some twilight stuff, but then you're like, Oh, well, I know I mean, that they didn't forks. really, well, they didn't film anything there or anything like that or maybe they did i don't know but it's like the wayne's world moment when he's like hi i'm in delaware (laughs) i don't know if you've seen wayne's some people will get that reference dude i have seen wayne's world the original uh wayne's the like the first one probably at least 150 times love it okay so you get the reference oh yeah yeah millie i'm in forks I, I, i like when he goes in and was it kiss or whatever uh, he talks Alice Cooper, Alice Cooper, Millie Walker. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Classic. Oh, I love man, it. That, that movie was awesome. It was still is. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a timeless classic. What are some other, I'm, I'm curious since we're talking Wayne's world and classic movies, what are some other classics that are on your, li- like your top 10, like you could watch them 150 times if, if not, if you haven't already. Right. Well, I could watch all of the Harry Potter movies. Uh, I could do a Harry Potter marathon any day of the week. I could do a Hobbit trilogy movie, Peter Jackson Hobbits, uh, those three movies. I could do those any day of the week. I would love to say Lord of the Rings, but I I don't think I've ever made it through any of those movies more than once, and that was at the theater. Although I've purchased every version that you could possibly imagine i've just it's like one of these days i'm gonna do a lord of the rings trilogy i actually yeah. started a lord of the rings fan podcast and i still haven't done anything beyond the first two episodes so i got interested yeah. in something much more deep than that so that that was a different rabbit trail but so hobbit movies twilight movies i'm a i am a total twihard i i love hard nice i love twilight i could watch all four of those movies and binge them so that's that's four hobbit is three um what is it eight for harry potter so I, that's a my, that's my top 10 nice that's awesome that's awesome yeah it's it's uh it's interesting how movies are a reference point for us at least for me Right. Like I can, I know where I was and what was going on in my life that movies and music. It's weird. Like I can listen to an album Uh, just the other day. I was, or not even, not the other day. I was, it was a couple weeks ago. I I'm a huge concert junkie, which that's been a challenge this last year and a half in my state is in particular. Um, And we finally went, went to a concert a couple weeks ago. We went to need to breathe yeah, and opening for them was Switchfoot. So I don't know if you've heard of either of those. But oh yeah, Switchfoot. Both of those um, are Christian bands, right? Kind of. Well, Switchfoot definitely. Um, 
Need to Breathe doesn't, they don't like classify themselves as a Christian band. They're all Christian men. Yeah. Um, and they're very open about that. And a lot of their songs, you know, share that, but they kind of fall into the mainstream, um, you know, rock genre, if you will. But anyway, so Switchfoot was opening and they opened with, um, you know what? I bet I can play it. Hold on. Let's see if I can make this work. I'm, I'm on my Roadcaster Pro thanks to your uh, help getting me well, set as long, up. As long as you don't play it through the desktop, because if you play it through the desktop, it will be mixed minus out unless you do screen share and you have the driver to also allow the desktop audio to come through Zoom. Okay, I'll tell you what. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it like this. You can I'm plug it. You can plug, plug in it in. Phone. Yeah, you plug into your phone so and play it off the phone. It'll come through. Okay, hold on. Just for effect, right? Like I got. Oh yeah, dude, man, we got time. It, yeah. So this, they opened with this song, and I was immediately taken back to, um, you know, I I vividly remember this album was on repeat in 2000 i think it was it must have been 2005 when i was in fort jackson south carolina for the first time my wife and i uh no kids yet and we were staying in a really kind of rundown nasty hotel on base and this song was just on repeat in our car this whole album so let me get the song that they opened with and uh i'm sure you'll recognize it's a very common um Okay, make sure my volume. Here we go. Let's try this. Buffering. Buffering. Oh, yeah. Turn that down a little bit. Anyway, I won't play the whole thing, but um, you know what's great? I love the message of that song, too. You know, it really has kind of um, been an anthem for me as of late with the whole message of the song. We were meant to live for so much more. And uh, I've kind of had that on repeat ever since I went to the concert and and got it kind of back stuck in my head um, that, yeah, I was meant to live for more than, uh, than what I am right now. And God's called me to more. So Anyway, movies, music, they take me back to a place and time. I can kind of, uh, even smells can do that sometimes. Isn't it weird how our brains work like that? Yeah, well, the, the thing is, is music has been linked to a lot of things, especially in patients with Alzheimer's. That Did you see the, there's like all, all over TikTok, people are talking about Lady Gaga and uh, is it Tony Bennett? Um, he's no idea. Yeah, so something about 60 Minutes. And I, I, I don't know if he's like 97 or something like that, but he's got Alzheimer's and it shows them behind stage. This is the clips that I saw on TikTok, but yeah. um, he, he's like, you're getting ready to go. And he goes, yeah, how many songs am I singing? And, you know, and he's kind of just not completely aware of. He, he has Alzheimer's? Tony yeah. Bennett? I, I, okay. I'm pretty Didn't sure. So, yeah. so the whole scenario is that he gets out there and of course, once he's on stage and he hears the music and he's back back there. Yeah. Yeah. And so he, he turns on, he sing, he sings everything straight through. And in that moment of lucidity, Lady Gaga comes out and I guess he and Lady Gaga are really good friends. And so he's like, Hey, ladies and gentlemen, Lady Gaga. And she was like shocked. And you could tell that, oh my gosh, he, he knows who I am in this moment. Uh, yeah. which is not always the case when she sees him. So 
How anyway, cool. but the the whole idea of I've seen I've seen similar stories, uh, not so much with prominent people that, of of celebrity fame status, but just like. Alzheimer's patients where uh, a, a daughter will be sitting down with their 80 some odd year old mother and she doesn't remember her husband you know where's my husband do I know you it's like yes I'm your daughter that kind of stuff and and all of these things and then all of a sudden she'll be play, she'll play a song and she'll start singing along and then boom she's like oh I remember right. when me and my husband did this and that and that and it's like She's sharp as a tack. So I've seen a lot of that where music connects to something in the memory in a different way. Yeah. Well, and I think it's music. It's, it's, there's certain neurological pathways that must not be impacted by dementia, Alzheimer's, at least to the same degree. I was talking to a buddy last night about his, uh, his grandmother who has, you know, since passed away a few years ago, but right, you know, before she passed, definitely, you know, dementia, Alzheimer's was suffering, all of that. But she, every time he came over to visit, it was almost like a trigger for her. She had to stop what she was doing and make him pancakes from scratch and no recipe card, no like cheat sheet, nothing. She knew exactly how much of what to put in and she would do it the same way every time. And that was so, so that pathway was not impacted by the dementia. It it was just, it was fascinating. It's fascinating. Were you listening to any of the content that I was producing when I started talking about what I was discovering from the book moonwalking with Einstein? I have not listened to any of that. No. Is that recent or is that a while back? No, this was a while back. It may have been before you and I started working together. I went to Social Media Marketing World in San Diego and I was at one of the speaker dinner parties and one of the folks there recommend. he's like, hey, you might want to check this book out. And I downloaded it on the spot. It's called Moonwalking with Einstein. And it's about a, a journalist who uh, did a story on people who win world championship memory contests. And yeah. in his interviews, the guy says, dude, I can teach you how to win your own championship. You know, it's, it's, these are skills and techniques. This It doesn't take a genius to do what we're doing. And so uh, in the book, he shares some of these things. And one of them is called the Memory Palace. And so, for example, now this was, gosh, at least it might have been it might have been three years ago, Mike that I, I learned this. So uh, I was teaching my daughter the memory palace concept. And the whole idea is that you think about a location, a space-based location that you know very well. So for example, your home. And mm-hmm. the idea is that you associate, it's like, okay, I'm coming down the street and I'm, I'm up in front of my driveway, there's the mailbox. And so the first thing that I want to memorize, I imagine it either in the mailbox, on the mailbox, in front of the mailbox. Then there's the car in the driveway. What I can associate something with the car in the driveway. Then there's something on the front porch, and I, I visualize and see it on the porch. And then I open the door, and there's this furniture. And so, so I know where, like I know walking through where I'm at in the house, and if I can just remember what's associated with that, that place, boom. So Megan was kind of like, that just doesn't make sense. I said, well, here's the deal. Uh, Stephanie called. And we were on our way from Costco to Kroger, and Stephanie says, can you pick up a bunch of items for me? 
And I said, mm. sure. And so get this, Mike. Now watch, tell me, am I looking any, I'm going to keep eye contact with you. I'm not holding any note cards. Are you ready? Here's yeah. what my wife wanted us to get. Um, all-purpose flour, four plastic storage tubs, whole milk, Monterey Jack cheese, queso cheese, nacho chips, cinnamon, paper plates, olive oil, cinnamon toast crunch cereal, and a venti iced tea chai latte. Nice. That is her shopping list from three years ago. And I have it memorized. So you did that through associating. So here's the deal. So when I just, what I just did is I walk up to my driveway. I open up the mailbox and there's a puff of white smoke and it's not cocaine. It's actually all purpose flour. (laughs) Okay. So now all of a sudden I'm walking up the driveway and my car, I'm like, what the heck? Is this a, some redneck neighborhood? My car is literally propped up on four plastic storage tubs. All right, come on, Leo. <laughs> we got a cameo. Leo's my, making Le, Leo likes to get in, in my lap when I'm talking to people. So, yes. so the car is up on four plastic storage tubs. Now, on the front porch, right before I go in the front door, there's a dairy cow on the front porch. Mm-hmm. And then um, when I open up the door on the right-hand side, there's a buffet, it, it's a piece of furniture. And on top of it, there is a big, huge pile mound of Monterey Jack shredded cheese. But then from the bottom of that, all the way over to the steps, to the stairway, there is melted, there's a trail of melted queso cheese. And then Uh as I'm walking up the steps, I find that I'm crunching. I look down, I'm stepping and breaking all these tortilla chips. Mm -hmm. And then at the top of the step, I sneeze because there's a big cloud of cinnamon in the air. And then I turn to the left, there's a bathroom, and I look in the bathroom and I'm like, why is there a stack of paper plates from the toilet all the way up to the ceiling? And then I come out of the bathroom. Matthew's bedroom is on the left-hand side. And I'm like, Matthew, what the heck are you doing with the five-gallon bucket and all these uh, all these tubes? He goes, Dad, I'm water-cooling my uh, computer with olive oil. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then there's a, there is a closet in the hallway between Matthew's bedroom and Mac- Megan's bedroom. And it's filled to the brim with, there's nothing else in there other than cinnamon toast crunch cereal. And then I walk into Megan's bed, bedroom, and there is a giant, like bigger than life, uh, tea, uh, Starbucks thing, and it is a large vente iced tea uh-huh. chai latte, and that's how I memorize. I, I, you could ask me in twenty five years from now, and I will be able to tell you Meg, uh, Stephanie's uh, shopping list. So that's fascinating. My only question is. How do you then, now that's one particular shopping list. What about next week when the list is totally different? How do you disembed that, de-embed, whatever the word is, well, from, from your psyche, right? Because that's clearly embedded. It, it's clearly embedded, and, and, it's, and that was just for me just to test it out. You know, it was the first yeah. thing that I thought of. I taught my friend uh, Frank Lipsky how to do this. Uh, I told him about it and he got the book and he's like, oh, I'm going to try this. And he memorized every single United States president in order. So you can do it with something that you would want to embed 
long term. You know, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, it, but but the whole thing it's it's about that technique. It's not necessarily right. for short term memory things, although there are other techniques for those things as well. Yeah, I have. I just got haven't got. I, I just I got as far as what I just told you in the book, and I haven't picked up the book since. <laughs> nice. Anyway, nice. fun stuff. Memory. What are you reading right now? Oh goodness, you're gonna make me go there. Um, I am reading some very really weird esoteric um, stuff about uh, Jesus and the Essenes. What are the Essenes? The Essenes were a group of people uh, that were responsible for the uh, Qumran community, which is just outside of Jerusalem. And it's where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. So it's thought that uh, some of Jesus's disciples were Essenes, which was kind of a a religious sect, if you will. Uh, It's been taught and handed down that they were a very strict monastic um, ascetic, uh, meaning that they've, you know, given up worldly things. uh, And they were a very strict religious uh, offshoot of Judaism, which that may describe some of those people, but it wasn't necessarily the whole picture. The only thing is, is the books that I'm reading right now, um, very few people that I know would be able to read the books that I'm reading because it just so happens that the people that are uh, writing the books suggest that the material that they're sharing are coming from hypnotherapy, past life regression sessions. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, like I said, it's very esoteric stuff, uh, but I find it fascinating, and 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 it's fun read. Yeah. So I'm reading about the Essenes. Well, it sounds like it's an extension of, I'm I'm definitely, you asked, you know, if I'd listen to that content you referenced, definitely listen to the Faith Journey stuff as of late, and so I know you've been really going down a whole bunch of different rabbit trails and discovering new things. I didn't say that that sounded, hopefully that didn't sound negative, but no, in a good way, it's been fascinating to listen in on some of that. And, you know, I've kind of come to a place where I'm, I'm embarking on my own faith journey, if you will. Um, maybe not, um, quite to the level that you have in terms of the different offshoots, but, um, in a weird way, like I feel this, this, uh, what's the word, this, this draw or this nudge or this, this attraction toward, um, well, let me back up a little bit. So I was raised in a very evangelical, charismatic, um, uh, conservative, what's the right word? It was a, uh, it was the four square church, right? Pentecostal style church. Yes, exactly. And so, um, you know, so I have a lot of different reference points, memories from that upbringing. And, um, as of, it's been a few years ago when this first started, but really in the last couple of weeks, quite frankly, it's, it's kind of been magnified, but feeling this draw towards really investigating like the origin of the church, right? The organized church, go back to when Christ was around and then what happened right after he died from like that point 
to like the 15, 1600s, like there's not a lot, uh, I mean, there is, but there's not a lot that I've personally investigated. And so I'm feeling this draw towards that. Not only that, but like, um, I've always kind of had, uh, in a, in a, um, what's the word? Not a negative way, but, or not a negative view, but kind of like a, almost an arrogant, an arrogant view that, um, the, the new evangelical, the way that I was brought up is a better way than liturgical Catholicism, even, or, uh, Episcopalian, just very traditional. Like we're following a liturgy. We're, we're saying these scripted prayers or sayings and kind of in a way I've looked down on that <laughs> for my entire life. And that, and that over the last few years, I've really come to the point where I'm like, wait a minute, there's, there's a lot of power in incantations in, in, you know, uh, saying something over and over, praying something over and over and, and not necessarily um, having to come up with something out of your ass every day, <laughs> pull something out of your ass. pardon the language. This isn't an explicit podcast, so I won't say anything more than ass. Um, but you know, pulling something out of thin air when sometimes that's hard to do. And I've felt drawn towards some of these um, traditional prayers that I've been trying to memorize and really, you know, incant incantation style, say them. I've, I've almost found this life inside of those old traditional liturgical prayers. Yeah. So I'm fascinated by it, right? Like I'm, I'm interested. I'm very fascinated about learning more about that, that period of time from when Jesus died all the way up through, you know, kind of the reformation, which I believe it wasn't that the 1600s and Martin Luther was he like 1600 something. Right. So, I mean, that's, that's a long time. Yeah. There's, there's, there's a big history there. That's for sure. And I've, I've also had a very huge fascination in, you know, what are the different turning points in the documented and then handed down from generation to generation story of the church? It's a fascinating situation yeah. and, and it's, and it's, it, it is ironic or I find it interesting or whatever adjective I want to, 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 to uh, put towards the idea that any one group has the corner on the truth of of what it is and yeah it's so funny i want like i told you that i started a lord of the rings fan podcast and so i was reading the introduction to the like a a 50th ver 50th anniversary version of lord of the rings or something like that and Mm -hmm. it had a foreword in there and this was actually C.S. Lewis. It, obviously, it was he, he had written this as a preface to one of the books, but it talks about how many different versions of this book there are, and how many freaking errors have popped up. And is like every time I go to have them cre- to fix an error or stuff like that, they actually reintroduced old errors and and, yeah. and 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 there is there are no versions. There are no versions of the Lord of the Rings that you can purchase that is without error. 
Yeah. <laughs> it just does not exist. And and obviously today in a digital age, it might be a little bit easier to to do those things. But uh, but even even with the technology that they had at C.S. Lewis's time, or not C.S., but J.R.R. Tolkien's time, uh, just imagine, you know, <laughs> the errors handed down. And then it's not just unintentional errors, but, you know, mm-hmm. there there's very documented cases of of uh, suppression of information and rewriting of information. And I find that stuff incredibly fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 one of the things that I s- studied last year, and I'm still, there's still f- a few more of them, but the Gnostic texts, the ones that were originally banned and, and some that were a part of that were considered a part of the Holy Scriptures but then removed by the Catholic Church and uh, subsequently burned and and suppressed and then all of a sudden I think it was Nag Havandi or whatever that they had found uh, copies of course made by the Essenes uh, of these Gnostic texts that were suppressed mm. and so yeah interesting stuff it is it is very interesting. I, I have come to the conclusion that I no longer want to just jump to conclusions. I I'm <laughs> for, I I I find myself allowing my belief system to be flexible, but I no longer feel any compulsion whatsoever to say I now know the truth. Mm-hmm. I, matter of fact, the more I investigate, the less I'm convinced I know the full story. And so I'm a huge fan of this. I don't know. I wasn't there. <laughs> right. All I have is hearsay, certain accounts, and, and all this other stuff. And yeah, it, there's some fascinating stuff. Anyway, yeah, that, I, I'll stop there. We can go in any other direction you want to go in this conversation. <laughs> no, that's okay. I, it, it's interesting. I'm I'm looking for maybe you have a recommendation. If you were in my space of that, you know, investigating that gap of time, is there a book or or even a reference that you know of that kind of captures that uh, that period? Or maybe it's a series of books. Well, I don't know. I I could I could tell you the books that I'm reading but they are not historical facts and i would encourage you to read them as absolute fiction novels mm-hmm. of a story that might have been sure uh, so but there but the stories are written in such a way that this is documented truth that is finally being revealed through metaphysical means so mm-hmm. if you keep mm-hmm. in mind but just read it as this is purely fiction and and but it's an interesting I, I i it's an interesting perspective so if you're interested these are the books that i would tell you um okay. the first one is called uh let me let me pull it up here cuz i i've got my kindle in front of me the first one is called jesus and the essenes by dolores cannon and i will tell you that some people just heard the name dolores cannon and immediately had a reaction uh, because <laughs> well i had never heard of her until i started joining tiktok and i've there i will tell you i've heard her talk about some things and i'm like that woman is 
out there. And and here I am reading a book by Dolores Cannon. So Jesus okay. and the Essenes, I thoroughly enjoyed. Then the next book in the series is called They Walked with Jesus. So you want to read, so I would, re- I, you read um, Jesus and same the author. same author, Dolores Cannon. And then after finish finishing they walked with jesus then the next obvious book to read is called essenes children of light or children of the light by stuart wilson and anna uh prenti i think p r e n t i i think or prentice i can't re- i can't tell by the little thumbnail but Anyway, that'll that'll get you started, and of course, there are, I, th- I believe after this one, this Stuart and Anna, I think they wrote some additional stories about the Essenes after after this book. So, um, but it's fascinating. It, it, it's like okay, if this were true, and and that's the way I go because the whole idea is that Dolores Cannon and and also this Anna, they're clinical hypnotherapists who stumbled across this field of helping people recover from past life trauma all right mm-hmm. so in it, you, you'd have to believe in reincarnation to believe even that premise and then all of a sudden some people are experiencing trauma that is caused from a prior lifetime and so these these clinical hypnotherapists help people regress back into not their childhood but to a trauma experience of the past life working through it and then recovering but through this process they discovered that you could go back in time to many multiple previous previous lifetimes and then you could also get people who had actually uh, had a lifetime that corresponds to the time that Jesus and his ministry was here on the earth. And mm-hmm. the suggestion here is that Dolores came across two different people who were Essenes. Hmm. So that, that is very fascinating. That, that's what I'm saying. I, I, I do not claim it to be true, but let me just tell you, it's probably the most fast. I read Jesus and the Essenes, the first book that I just mentioned. I read it in three days. Uh, that's a book that normally would have taken me about two and a half weeks to read. I read it in three days. I did not sleep at night those three days. Um, and then I got the second book, and I read that one within three days. And then, uh, yeah, I, it, it's, it's that fascinating. Good stuff. All right, I'll check them out. Anyone, (laughs) but but don't don't read it as historical historical fact or anything like that. It's just I I, the the way I like to think of it is okay. Maybe if I if I believed all of those things, then maybe yeah. But at this point, it's interesting to hear somebody's theory about what Jesus's ministry was all about and the support system he's had and who his disciples were and and what that makeup would have been like. The only thing I can tell you is that what I've read of the Gnostic Gospels, the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Philip, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, everything that is told in these books that I've just mentioned about the Essenes, it seems to fit. Mm-hmm. Now, make of that what you will, so... Yeah. I I didn't know about the Gnostic Gospels. I'll have to check those out too. <laughs> Dude. You brought some you brought something up. Um 
that is interesting to me. So how often, if you were to pick up a stack of 10 books, how many would you say, you know, out of, out of those 10, would you do what you did with this other book where you, you just, cause you know, we all start different books and then it's like, oh, I'll put that on the shelf for a minute. Let me go over here. But there are certain books where you start it and you can't stop it until you finish it and you just go straight through. How often does that happen? About one out of every 50 books that I pick up. Okay. It's weird that this has happened. I'm actually on, there's it, the, the two Dolores Cannon books. I, I couldn't put them down. Um, there was another book I read in one day. It's called um, The Four Agreements. Have you ever heard of yeah, this book? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have. Yeah, I read that in one day. It's like that was another one I couldn't put down. Um, but uh, but most of the time, I, I'm I'm currently reading you know twenty five thirty books at once right now. And I will read a couple of sentences, a couple of paragraphs, or maybe an entire chapter, occasionally two or three chapters of a book, and then I'll close it and go pick up something different, usually on a somewhat related topic or completely different topic. It just whatever whatever intuitively I feel led to pick up now. That's why I love carrying my Kindle around in my pocket because I've got all these yeah. books there at all the times. And then when I'm not able to read I'll it's like I've got audiobooks like left and right and all this other stuff and yeah and then I watch documentaries one on the on the tread on the stairmaster like a Netflix type setup yeah you know just any or, or, actually usually YouTube YouTube has tons of documentaries so for example I yeah. th- okay so there's a little spoiler alert uh, okay. there, there is, it's, this is not mentioned in the Dolores Cannon books, but there is mention in the, the, the third book that I mentioned and, and it will, but the whole idea is that the Essenes and other ancient like Hindus and the Druids and stuff like that, that there was handed down secret, you know, knowledge that was handed down to various different groups of people by higher beings known as the Kalu, which were actually of the people of the city of Atlantis. So it was the more advanced higher beings that were here uh, that, that you know their time had come to an end, but they wanted to hand down this esoteric secret knowledge to certain groups of people. Some weird stuff. Yeah. So, but because of that, I I started I was like okay, I've I've never really studied anything about Atlantis, and now I know that Atlant the story of the hidden, the lost city of Atlantis actually is a story that Plato taught uh, or told, and there's been plenty of people suggest that listen, this was just a fictitious story he showed to talk about archetypal this or that or whatever, uh, but there are a handful of people who believe that. Uh, he is actually clued in on some secret knowledge and that he was telling this story as a factual thing. And and if you were to believe that, then of course the authors of the of this Essene Children of Light of the Light book, they believe that the Kalu are a port uh, are a portion of or one of the groups of the people who were a part of the lost city of Atlantis who brought the knowledge of the, what would it take to build the, the pyramids and all this other stuff. Yeah. It's fun. 
So I went and searched for, I wonder if there's any documentaries that can tell me more about the search for the lost city of Atlantis. And so I found some National Geographic documentaries and some other stuff. And I'll sit and watch those while I'm at, I'm at the gym. Nice. Nice. I've, I've been trying this new thing that I've found some success with when it comes to reading. Um, I will buy the Kindle and the audible, like you can buy the audible companions. I have a subscription and I've found that if I play the audio book on anywhere between 1.7 to two, it's, it all depends on how fast the author talks and I'm reading it at the same time that I'm listening. It's like this next level of, uh, you know, comprehension and retention by, by doing that, at least for my brain, I found that it's been pretty amazing. If I just listen, I've found that if I'm just going to listen, I'm not going to read along with it visually. Um, I can do that with fiction. I can do that with kind of lighter stuff, but if it's something that I'm studying and I want to really learn something from a book, um, not just be amused or entertained. Um, I, I really, it's been really effective to do that method of, of listening and reading at the same time. And, uh, I'm doing that right now with the big leap. I think I shared with you, I'm finally reading the big leap. It's been on my list. I've had copies of it. Uh, it's on my Kindle. I've had it for years and I'd never actually picked it up. So I finally started reading it and it was interesting yesterday morning. I, I had some time where I was doing work around the house and I was like, okay, I'm going to listen to this for a while. I listened to about five minutes and I stopped it because I was like, I can't, there's too much here that I, I want to underline. I want to write this down. I want to, so I had to stop listening because I it wasn't one of those books where I could just mindlessly do something while listening to it. Yep. But, you know, a lot of people do with podcasts and things like that. You know, you can mow the lawn and listen to a podcast, right? But I can't do that with certain books. And so I had to stop it and put, kind of put a pin in it. So I'll come back to that when I can sit down and read it while I'm listening. So, um, I would love to potentially save you some money and some frustration with what you found has worked extremely well for you. So, okay. <laughs> by the way, some of those audio, audible narrations, you know, the the thing, the companions, they they're done really well, great narrators. But have you ever went and bought a Kindle version, but you bought the audio companion that goes with it from Audible, and the narrator is, let's just say, terrible. I actually can say no. Well, I'll say no because I'm sure that you have because you wouldn't ask otherwise. Yeah. Um, I I should I should clarify. I don't buy the companion. What I'll usually do is buy this the audiobook separately on Audible. So not like the companion, but it's usually the actual author. Well, it's usually they're, they're the same thing. It's it's just that uh, if okay. if it if they're so there there is the uh, there's an option that if it's an if it's actually read word for word unabridged then you can actually even you can take your if you're using the Kindle app on your phone or iPad, it's called a companion and it'll read it to yeah, you I while know. it's highlighting yeah. it. Now, I use a Kindle rather than the Kindle app for my reading. And so I would pretty much do the same thing that you're talking about. I'll play it on my audible thing. But on even the then, yes, yeah, so, but but even then, I occasionally there's an, a, narr- an, a narrator that person's voice just is like chalk on a, uh, you know, fingernails on a chalkboard. 
But actually, I take that back. There is one time that's happened. Okay. And you're going to love this because it was a book uh, that you recommended and I personally didn't really care for. And it was The uh, Younger Next Year. Oh, yeah. That, that, yeah. That, the audible version of that's not great. No. Yeah. And maybe that's why I didn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> the so, content may have been okay, but it was like, I just can't stand this guy's voice. I mean, isn't that weird? It, it is. Well, no, it, it's, it's, it's not weird. There's, yeah. It's what resonates with you. Now, here's a little tip. Uh, I, Alexa, I don't need you. Uh, she does a pretty decent job of doing AI reading. All right. So, okay. Okay. If you go to your, if you install the the Amazon app, the Alexa yeah, app yeah, on your that. phone, okay. and you click on the play button, you should see a section that says here, play from, and it should say your Kindle library. So I just went through and I found my list of books and I went down to win at work and succeed at life. This is a Michael Hyatt book, right? Oh, so now and play from your Kindle library, okay? Yeah, and then you can show, tell it to play from this device, or you can have it play to one of your Echoes. Now, listen to this. This is what it sounds like. So I'm gonna just pick challenge, uh, chapter five here. So five: the promise of balance. Principle three: work-life balance is truly possible. We spend too much of our work lives trying to deny our humanity. Richard Sheridan. Few things make me, Megan, happier than a steaming bowl of pad thai. There's a place nearby Joel and I like to go for date nights. He gets curry. I get pad thai. The first time we went, I didn't even need to look at the menu. I knew exactly what I wanted. I'd been craving it for weeks. The waiter came to our table with her order pad and pencil. Have you decided what you'll order? She asked. I'll have the pad thai, I said, also requesting some spring rolls. What number for the pad thai? Okay, so I'll just stop it there. But she does a really great job of the, I mean, she, that, her, that voice is better than most audible narrations. Can you change the playback speed? So here's the deal. If you tell it to send it to your Echo device... You yeah. Can, you, you while sh, while the echo is reading it, you can say, "Hey, echo, pl- uh, speed up a little," or something like that. Can you read mm. a little faster? And she'll speed it up. Or can you go two point five x? And and so yes, the answer is yes. So yeah, that is that is a nice little hack for the ones that potentially I can't stand the audible version, right? Like yeah. if it's if it's bad. Um, Interesting. Well, I just, I, I just got to the point. It works. I yeah. just, yeah, I just got to the place where, because I'm an Audible subscriber, and there are yeah. some, that now. What I will buy is, and I will, I refuse to use my credits to do this anymore because it's like she does a great job reading of a book that. But the where I will spend my Audible credits now are if I'm going to listen to somebody and I actually want to hear the author in their voice because I like that author, I like that person's voice, and I want to mm-hmm. hear them speak it. Or if it, or if that author is one that kind of goes a little bit off the beaten path, if you will, of what was written in the book and gives updates and and so yeah. so I I reserve my Amazon credit or my Audible credits for those things. Uh, but just a standard Kindle book, dude. I'm having I'm having her read it for free in the background uh, while I'm reading along in my Kindle. That's awesome. You want to hear that. another t- tech fun thing? 
Of course. Do you have, and then I'll tell you, and then I'll tell you uh, what book I just finished in about a day and a half. Well, tell me what book you finished reading in a day and a half, and then I'll tell you the next tech tech tip that okay. I just found. So this totally different genre, but you know, you know my background in in studying health and fitness stuff. So I just finished. Well, two weeks ago, I just finished the complete guide to fasting by Dr. Jason Fung. Nice. And uh, oh, yeah, it was one of those like I couldn't put it down. I had to keep going. I had to go all the way through um, and finish it because it was one of those, like there was a chapter towards the end. So I looked at the table of contents. There's a chapter towards the the last, like two thirds of the book that I'm like, I really want to get to that chapter, but I didn't want to skip ahead and just read it, which I've done before too. Like, let me just get what I want out of this book and I'll move on. But once I started reading it, it was like, well, I I don't want to skip ahead. Like this is actually sequentially making sense. Let me keep going in order. And I just couldn't put it down. And I finally got to the portion, um, that I was, you know, specifically interested in. And it was, it was great. It was good. It was interesting, but, um, I didn't stop there. I went all the way through. So yeah, about a day and a half, I, I couldn't put it down. I love the topic of fasting. Uh, I am, I don't do a lot of multi-day fasts, uh, but w- there are many t- seasons throughout the year where I'm like, okay, I'm doing total OMAD. So basically fasting for 23 and a half hours and I'll yep. eat within a single 30 minute window uh, and just do OMAD for months at a time. Yeah. And and occasionally if I, if I, if I get yeah. really far, if I ever go off keto and I go, you know, get a little streak going of you know it's like okay i've been off keto for a while now i might actually say okay let's just reboot my system and i'm just not going to eat anything for the next 36 hours or three days or whatever so yeah he does a really good job of breaking down the all of the myths behind fasting because as soon as you tell somebody that you're fasting depending on what their frame of references or their worldview or whatever, their conventional wisdom that they believe to be true, which is totally false. Um, you're going to get a different range of reactions from people. Oh, you can't do that. Like you're going to, you're going to start, you're going to slow your metabolism. You're gonna, all these things that are not true. Um, well, you can't exercise because then this is going to happen. None of that is true. So he does a really good job of scientifically breaking down how it works, what's happening physiologically, what's happening to your cells, what, what autophagy is like, and when all that stuff kicks in and, um, that you actually can gain muscle while you're fasting. And it's, it's just, and your metabolism actually can increase, not go down. Like if you do it the right way. Um, and, and so he does a really good job of breaking all that down scientifically, but to your point about OMAD and things like that in the book, he does a really good job of, of really laying out different approaches. So, you know, the 18, six, yeah, 18, I had to do my math in the head. 18, six is a common one where you fast for 18, six hours eating window, or even just a 12 and 12 or, or, a um, you know, the 22 and two, which is kind of like a nomad, but it's a little bit of an extended meal, right? You've got two hours to eat what you're going to eat. Um, but he, and then he talks about, so those would be not multi-day. Those would be you're eating at some point every day. You're just intermittent fasting, right? And then he gets into like a 36 hour and a 48 hour. And then he, it's interesting after 48 hours, that's the hardest part of the fast. Once you get past 48, you really start to, I mean, your body has shifted from burning glucose glycogen into burning 
ketone bodies and you're burning your fat cells essentially. And your, your, your body is dumping those into the bloodstream to, to, to burn. I'm probably messing that up scientifically, but Oh, it's my lay lay person description here. Um, read the book if you want the, the actual stuff, but you're actually burning fat. And so you're, when that happens and you know, this be, being um, in ketosis, you can, you can tell when that flip, when that switch is flipped. I know for me, I can tell distinct. Oh, I feel that difference in my way. I, my body feels the way my, when I work out the way um, just mental clarity, like there is a, there is a very clear um, distinction for me when I switch into, okay, now I'm burning ketones. Yeah. I'm not, I've exhausted all of my glycogen. I've exhausted every you know, ounce of sugar in my body, in my liver, everything's gone. And now I've switched to burning fat. And so after 48 hours, he actually recommends like, Hey, if you're going to get past that hardest part, you might as well go for seven days because it's going to get easier every day. And it's in practice. I've found that to be true. The longer you fast, the easier it tends to get, because especially for someone like me who has a little bit of extra, um, you know, body fat that I can burn through. If you're like 0% body fat, 3% body, it's not recommended. <laughs> you don't need to fast. But if you're like me um, and you're trying to burn excess fat, then it's, it's actually the, the longer you go, the, the, the benefits kind of uh, they're, they're, they're compounding. It's exponential. Yeah. Um, especially if your goal is to burn fat, which is I, so, so I've been playing around with the ketogenic lifestyle and intermittent fasting for several years now, and this year is the first time I actually put it to the test in endurance training. So I went for an 80-mile bike ride. Nice. <laughs> with no calories consumed beforehand and no calories consumed during then I think I was on the bike for six and a half hours. Not conventional wisdom would say you need those gel, uh, those those glucose gel packs. You need yep. that. No. Yeah, and I I actually took I took carbohydrates, snacks, and all that stuff. I took it with me just in case. Uh, but all I did is I filled my water bottles with my special electrolytes, which had the magnesium, the sodium, uh, yeah, magnesium, sodium, and potassium, and potassium. Yep. So, so so I I I kept I made sure I stayed hydrated with all of those things, uh, and dude, eighty miles, eighty miles, not a single calorie, not one drop in energy level from beginning to end. It was yeah. freaking phenomenal. So yeah, it's fun stuff. Real quick, I know you're going to share a hack, but I'll use I want to share this analogy that he talks about in the book because it was so powerful for me to visualize what fasting does. He, he, he talks about, imagine you have a, a semi truck and on the back of the, tr- it's a, it's a semi truck that's hauling fuel. Like you see those semis that pull up to the gas station, they're dumping the fuel in the ground, right. To fill up the gas station. And what's interesting is that semi truck is burning its own fuel that's in its gas tank. Right. But it's also got this big old tank of fuel on the back of it that it, you know, that is, it cannot access. And he talks about how your glycogen, your glucose, uh, your glycogen stores are kind of like the gas in the tank of that uh, semi-truck that's making the semi-truck go. And when you run out of that gas, you, you have this tank of fuel 
but you can't tap into it until you run out of that gas that's in the, in the tank, right? You're, you're always, your body's always going to take the path of least resistance. Another analogy actually, it's maybe a little bit better is it's like a fridge and a freezer, right? You've got all this stuff in the fridge. Your body's going to go after that first because it's thawed out. It's ready to eat. It, that's your, that's your glycogen stores. Then it keeps this stuff in the freezer when the fridge runs out that, and, the, and so the freezer is your fat stores that, okay, now I'm out. The fridge is empty. I need to take this stuff out of the freezer, thaw it out and let it be, be uh, consumed. Right. So it's, it's taking that, uh, you're, you're making that switch when, once you've exhausted the fridge, you've run out of the uh, food that's in the fridge, your sugar, your glycogen. Now you got to take the stuff out of the freezer. That's what the fat is. So you're always going to go to the path of least resistance and to really kind of drive home the, I know we're on a tangent, but this is fun. I like talking about this um, to really drive home the analogy about and and bust the myth about uh, burning muscle. Your body, that's like the very last thing your body's going to go after. And it's when you're starvation, you're out of fat stores. Your body's going to start breaking down muscle. And he, t- he talks about, it, he's like, think about it. Imagine if you were in a home, you were in your home and you, uh, you know, your power goes out. You've got a wood burning stove. You've got all this wood to burn. AKA fat. And instead of putting that wood in the wood burning stove, you break up the couch and throw it in the fire. You're not going to do that. You're going to go with what's available first. He says the body's the same way. It's going to start with sugar. It's going to go to fat next. If you run out of fat and you're truly starving, then it'll start breaking down muscle. Yeah. Fun stuff, man. What's the name of the book again? And who's the author? Uh, It is the, uh, where'd it go here? It's the complete guide. I just had it open on the Alexa because I was testing out that little hack you shared with me. The complete guide to fasting by Dr. Jason Fung, F-U-N-G. There you go. And he's got a lot of stuff on YouTube too. So that's how I first learned about him, watched a bunch of his YouTube lectures. Um, and then I bought the book, obviously. But he's uh, he's one of those guys that he's a medical doctor. He's a nephrologist. So all he did in his practice for several years was deal with the impacts of metabolic disorder, right? So type two diabetes, all that, all that sort of thing, working with kidney failure, that, that sort of stuff. Obviously at that point, people have reached, you know, they're in a pretty bad spot. And so he started prescribing fasting and saw these tremendous turnarounds in people like eliminating their type two diabetes to the point where they were healthy again off of all the drugs. So it was, it was fascinating that he took a different approach and he was, you know, it was a risky thing for him to do as a medical doctor to say, let's try this. Let's see what, and he's now shown and proven that, yeah, this is actually an effective way to, and it's a free, it's actually a very inexpensive way to treat um, metabolic disorder. Sweet. Yeah. All right. So I want to share with you a tech tip. So do you have anything with uh, words on it in front of you? Like uh, physically, like a, on a document that's printed out somewhere or... A... I have this notepad where I wrote down the books you just recommended. Okay. How decent is your handwriting? Decent. Okay. So <laughs> Six out of 10. Five, right. five, six out of 10. So yeah. do you have iOS 15 installed on your phone? I do. Okay. So check this out. What's your favorite note-taking app? I use, I've been really just using Apple Notes. All right. So let's just open up notes. Okay. All right. 
Now, um, go ahead and I have to click through because I haven't used Apple Notes in a long time. So I'm going to go ahead and create a new note. Okay. All right. Then what I want you to do is I want you to tap into the note almost like where you would actually paste something. So give it one tap and you should see paste a little weird icon and then be, you know, bold uh, italic yep. underline. Yeah. See the thing in the middle? It's, I, I don't, it's, it's camera. It's like it yeah. looks like a scanner. Go ahead and click that. Now the bottom half turns to a, a camera. Now hover over the, the, the text on there and wait for it to actually say insert. Do you see it? Hold on. Telling me to slow down. I'm going too fast. Okay, wait. It should it's highlight good. a section and when it, and it should give you an insert button. It did. Man, that's cool. Yeah, my tech my uh, handwriting needs to get better. It didn't quite get it exactly. Well, if this was text, like <laughs> right. written if it was text, a document. If it was a document, it it would have actually selected an, an obvious portion that you're pointing the camera at and Dude. it's doing optical character recognition. And yeah. it's instantly pasting that in wherever you're taking your notes from right now. Awesome. I'm going to try it with a, with a, I didn't know that's what that little button was. Yeah, I like, didn't either that. until I was playing around with it the other day. I'm like, what does this do? Why did it open my camera? And so it, it's mind blowing how freaking good it is. So get this. I went to the library the other day to buy a physical or to borrow a physical book. And I was thinking about buying the book, but the book was $18, and there was really only two or three quotes from the book that I found fascinating, and I didn't know that I wanted to spend $18 on a book to pull three quotes out. I mean, literally, three quotes. Right. So I went to the library, and I borrowed the book. I found the three quotes, opened up day one, and say, here are my favorite three notes from this book. And then I just pointed at the page and said, paste, paste, paste. Boom, done. Sent, yeah. took, the, took the book back to the library and I have my notes. Wow. Yeah. Okay, that is awesome. I'm totally, I can think of a ton of different use cases for that. So you're not using Apple Notes. What, how are you taking notes these days? Oh, gosh, don't ask. It, it, it changes. <laughs> I, I use a combination. You're an Evernote guy for a while. I, I, I do some stuff in Evernote still. I do probably about 70 or 80% of what I do inside a day one journaling yeah. app, um, but I don't use it just as a journal. I use good notes. I use, oh, I, I use drafts. So it, it depends on what I'm feeling in the, in the moment. Are you still, um, I know a while back you were doing a lot of handwritten journaling in GoodNotes on your iPad with Apple Pencil. Has that stuck? Uh, it had stuck for a long time. I haven't been doing as much as of lately, but that's because I haven't done as much journaling as lately. But if I was going to sit down and journal and handwrite, no, I, I would still do that today, yeah. And I found myself going into day one because I actually do have a personal journal journal book or entry or category or whatever you call it inside of day one. And I found myself typing in a few things here and there. But when I type something in there, I found myself exporting it as a PDF and inserting it into the latest page of the handwritten journal just so it's in one place. In good notes. In good notes. Yeah. So good and notes. Did you go, through... go ahead. Go ahead. No. Well, did you go through, I know you used to do physical journals, like you would write in those. 
Did you go and scan all of those in? I did. Your notes library. So yeah. you've got a, a full library of all your handwritten. That's kind of yeah. nice with the OCR capability within GoodNotes. You can, and it does a really good job. I've been impressed. It does. I used to, so I have about five full journals of just filled from front cover to back cover with written notes and journals and stuff like that. And I scanned every single one of those. And then finally I'm like, you know what? I should probably value my time a little bit more than I do. And I'm just going to start handwriting the notes right back into to this journal from now on. And so I started doing that again. So I don't, into, I, I just, into, I just write with my Apple pencil straight into good notes. Straight into good notes. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like, let me just skip a step here. Here's a hack for you. Um, because my, I've been, I've gone back and forth with taking notes in a notebook versus Apple pencil on my screen. And one of the things that I think was, um, aesthetically displeasing to me was how, or is how on the, just the screen itself and your writing, it doesn't really feel the same as a pen to paper, right? There's not the same friction. It's kind of slippery or it can be, it just feels a little different, right? You're writing on a glass screen versus, you know, wood parchment paper in a pen. And so I, I got, I was Googling and I went down this rabbit trail and I found um, these, uh, screen covers you can buy for your iPad that are rough. Like they've got this rough paper, like, like paper. So it literally feels like I've got it on right now. It's not exactly the same, but it feels much closer to writing on a piece of paper than it, than on a piece of glass. Yeah. And that's made a difference. Um, I, I do not, I go back and forth still, which is probably not great for how I'm trying to organize things. But I, what, for me, what I determined is it, for me, it's not so much about organizing things as much as it is the process of taking the notes. What I found is 95% of the value of me taking notes in, in whether it's typing those notes or handwriting those notes or whatever the case may be, it's me consciously thinking about it. It's me visually seeing it. It's me either doing the process of handwriting it or typing it and seeing it again and, and, and it's just like, ah. boom, the fact that I've done all of this, I may never come and find this again, but it benefited me, benefited me by doing the process that I just did. And yeah, there's, there's the yeah. added benefit that I probably might be able to find this again if I decide I need to refer back to it. Yeah, no, that's, that's good. I mean, it, there, there are all sorts of studies out there, right? The, the value of putting pen to paper or Apple pencil to screen uh, as compared to typing something out there, the retention and like the, 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 the neurons that are firing or activated when you physically do it, it is different, right? It's, it's different than typing something out on a screen. Yeah. We live in an awesome world where we have so many great technologies available to us. Well, hey, yeah. I want to be respectful of your time. I've got plenty of time, but I have another call at four o'clock. That's a, I'm doing an interview with somebody else for one of their podcasts or something like that. But um, I, just, I want to slowly roll us to a close. You have few, a few more minutes. Um, you know what, Cliff? It's funny you mentioned that I'm free until about four your time as well. Awesome. So we can talk as long or as short as, as we want. So obviously one of the things that I want to pull out and I, so far I've done this with everybody other than Carrie. I don't know if you heard, did you hear the Carrie episode yet? Carrie Olson? Yeah. Not yet. Um, I'm caught up to, what was the last one I listened to? Um, 
I can't, it wasn't John. It was one after John. Anyway, um, I haven't yet listened to Carrie's, but um, yeah. so I've got a couple in the queue. So she's got a shorter episode. We got into some, a, a lot of private conversation of like some, there are things that would make sense for me to have an, a conversation with Carrie after all the one-on-ones. You and I have had some pretty deep think, conversations, stuff like that. But outside of the context of a year's worth of very private conversations, what I started talking about in my conversation with Carrie on from my end didn't make a lot of sense for somebody to hear for the very first time in a in a sure. very deep conversation. So, so Carrie and I talked for like an hour and 20 minutes and there's about 22 minutes of that conversation in that episode. <laughs> got it. Okay. Yeah. It says 34 minutes. So yeah, my last one I listened to was Terry Wilson. So I got a few to catch up. I got Chuck, Danielle, Leslie, Carrie, and Chris Nelson to catch up. on. Yeah. There's some fun. Ones I've been loving this show cliff. This is awesome. I love it too. I, you know, and one of the things I love is there's, there's just absolutely there, there's no sales pitch to it. There's not, let, let's try to make everybody think really awesome things about us. Let's just chat. Let's have a conversation. Oh, I wasn't supposed to bring my sales pitch? All right, I'll, I'll <laughs> cut that out. <laughs> I'm a sales guy. What do you mean? No sales pitch. I got to have, I'm just totally but, joking. But it, I knew that. I knew just, that. just meaning that, you know, it's like, hey, I'm not doing this so that more people will find me and, and, Right. Know, by my, it's just like this is two friends talking. Matter of fact, I you know I could the the I could change the two friends talking could be the name of the podcast. Co- coffee comedians in cars getting coffee. <laughs> exactly. It's very much that feel, right? It, that feel exactly. Nice. So, um, let, give us an update real quickly. Like, what is something? that is going on in your business that you're most excited with you know because a lot of people are in the next level mastermind and Mm -hmm. uh, just what what's something that's really exciting for you in the business yeah so for those that you know were in the group at the same time that i was um you you know that and you know this cliff like this past year year and a half almost has been a a journey discovery it's been all about um, it goes back to the, to your phrase that you shared with me early on. Most people are over, over obligated and under committed. Um, that was me. And still to an extent, there's a little bit of that, but I have been ruthless with, uh, cutting out those obligations in favor of recommitting to the things that are important to me personally, but also in business. Right. And so, I've gotten to a point now where I have, I had all these, I had my fingers in all these different things that were not a part of my primary business. Um, you know, I was coaching other, other franchisees for the corporate team. I was doing, uh, I was producing a podcast for the company, like, you know, all these different things, um, that were bringing in, you know, they were bringing in some revenue. So it wasn't like it was, me just donating time and wasting time, but it was pulling away from, um, focusing on what I, and this is stirring up, this is being stirred up even more as I read through the big leap, really what I am excellent at and, and not just X zone of excellence, but tapping into the zone of genius. Right. I feel like I very, very barely scratched the surface of that. And so I'm, you asked what I'm excited about. I'm excited to continue to discover what that looks like, what my zone of genius really is. 
I do know that my zone of excellence is the work that I do and I'm, I'm good at it. Um, and I, I'm excited that I finally am in a place where I'm getting more margin to focus in and go deeper with my client base that I have versus kind of a surface level, uh, deep versus wide, right? Like going deeper with those people and really serving them at a higher level. So I'm excited about that, but I don't know if that's quite the level of, uh, my zone of genius yet. I think that that's excellence. And, and I do, I think some of those conversations with clients will, will uncover and allow me to tap into that zone of genius. But, um, I'm excited about what's, what that looks like moving forward. Um, and in particular, to go a little bit deeper on the zone of genius stuff, something, you know, that I've shared with you and, and people in the AM group of the next level mastermind would remember hopefully is that my, my superpower where I think my zone of genius really resides is in, in learning. So really reading and and digesting and, and learning new things and, and sharing that. Right. And I've not done a whole lot of that over the last couple of years because I've been over obligated, under committed. So I'll say it right here on the community voice. I'm committing Cliff to doing more of that, right? As I read these things, uh, you know, I've, I've been taking great notes on all these different books that I've been plowing through. And at some point before the year is over, I will hop on this microphone and start sharing more of that. Like you said, just like the feel of this podcast, no agenda, no sales pitch, nothing. Just it, it'll give me life and it'll, it'll be my, where my zone of genius resides to just talk about these things and put them out there publicly, whether anybody listens or not, I don't really care. I mean, um, it's, it's for me, it's about sharing it and, and, and getting that dialogue, getting the content out there, which is something I've not uh, really done. Um, and some of that ties to my business, right? Like I've, I've been reading all these different marketing and advertising books. That's the industry I'm in and it's been fascinating. So I'm going to share that. Right. And, and that'll be fun. But I mean, I'm reading some, some interesting stuff now. Um, I'm reading a book called the carpenter by John Gordon. Really, really great book. I have underlined more than probably half the book. So a lot of those nuggets I'm going to share in a series of podcasts. So those sorts of things are what I'm really excited about that. I, I have that margin back and I truly believe that by doing that, it is only going to result in more abundance in my life, in my business, in my family, um, in just my happiness. <laughs> I'm doing things that bring me joy versus thing, doing things out of obligation. That's awesome. Yeah. Something so there I, I recognize from this episode of the community voice so far, there's something missing from this conversation that has been a part of so many other conversations. So uh let let's go just a little bit deeper. Uh yeah. how how did you meet your wife? Tell tell us about your wife and how did you meet? Man, okay, so we met let's go back to the beginning. So we were both at Central Washington University. And uh, my roommate, 
who is my best friend still to this day. He's on the other side of that door in my office uh, working. Um, but he and I, um, very close, but we met in college. We're co- we were college roommates. And uh, he actually went to not the same high school, but in the same town as my wife. So he knew my wife before I did. And uh, this was sophomore year of college. So we were, it was beginning of sophomore year. We were going to the bookstore to buy all of our books. Yes. That's how I'm old enough to remember that you had to buy physical books at the campus bookstore, you know, and you want the ones with a little use sticker on it. Cause they're cheaper than anyway. Um, at the bookstore and she was at the checkout register, you know, she was working, she worked at the bookstore and it was funny. Cause he, you know, he's like, Oh, Hey, cause we were buying, I was buying books with him and it was one of those like, Oh, Hey, how's it going? You know, long time, no see blah, blah, blah. Anyway, that's how I got introduced to her. And it was, um, it was fascinating. Like she, I, immediately felt an attraction. She, um, it's funny she didn't, but, uh, but that's how, you know, that's how a lot of love stories start. Right. And so we, we met, I pursued, um, hardcore for at least a year before she finally relented and agreed to go on a date with me. So that's, that's how we met. We dated for, um, we didn't date very long, maybe three, three or six months before, um, we got engaged. And then a year later we were married. So we married right at, at, uh, uh, we got married during college technically. So between junior and senior year. So we spent our senior year, um, married. That's awesome. I love that. So, so you met her at, at the bookstore, uh, you pursued her for a year. What was the first date and how did you propose the date? Now, what's funny is if you ask her this story, she'll share that. Well, yeah, you pursued me for a year, kind of, but you were dating somebody else and you weren't really, <laughs> which is true. I was, uh, I was dating another girl, long-term, uh, long-term relation or not long. Um, what's the, what am I trying to say? Long distance relationship. So we were not, she wasn't at the same school. And so it was kind of one of those, like, yeah, I'm dating this girl, but Am I, you know, like I was not committed. (laughs) I was obligated. (laughs) I I was over obligated and under committed. (laughs) I was committed to pursuing this woman, my, my future wife. And so I, I shed the obligation of the, the person I was dating at the time anyway. And that's what opened the door to, you know, where we are now. But um, yeah, she would laugh and say, yeah, that's your version of the story. What really happened was you were already dating somebody. So anyway, um, first date man, that's, I, I don't know that I can pinpoint that because we did, I mean, we went to coffee at, on campus, you know, little things like that. So would, are those dates? I don't know. I guess they were right. They were, where was, was the first one where it was, where, where it was a date for her? She's like, okay, I'm going out on a date with Mike. It's probably, um, <laughs> this is bad that I can't remember. But I would venture to guess we both love Mexican food. So it's probably the local Mexican place right off of campus, you know, going out to dinner together. What were you studying in, in college? I studied and majored in political science. And uh, so that was, I, I went to college originally to be a math major. I thought I was going to be a high school math teacher because I loved math and I really enjoyed um, all of my high school math teachers. They all happened to be men. So it kind of was like, oh yeah, this is like, this makes sense. I'm going to go and do that. Or um, I'll become an actuarial scientist 
you probably know what that is. Mm-hmm. Oh, I definitely know the what insurance that is. industry. Those right? are those weird, weird people who ca- literally count every ceiling tile in the in the fourth yeah. floor of the building and statistically can tell you then how many tiles are in the entire building. Yeah, Rain Man, basically. <laughs> so I was like, I'm not Rain Man. I don't. I don't see a future here. I. Uh, as much as it would be cool to be a high school math teacher, uh, I got through one semester before I was like, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm changing. I'm not going to do this. So I, part of it was I had taken as an elective of political science, like intro class. And I was like, hooked. I was like, yeah, this is really cool. This is interesting. It was an election year too. So that helped. It was the year 2000 was my freshman year. So um, who, who was running George, at the time? George W running against Al Gore. Oh, okay. That was, a, remember, fun one. That was a fun remember year. Remember that election ended, that election night ended. And it was the, it was the stage where Al Gore was supposed to come out and concede. Right. And it was raining and it was just a blank state. Nobody was there and he never came out. Right. Because he ended up challenging the election and blah, blah, blah. Um, anyway, so I got into political science, loved studying it. And it was, it was a really fun major, um, mostly because, you know, and I don't want to necessarily take us down a, a <laughs> divisive political trail, but I'll just say this. It's sad to me. I feel sad that this day and age now, if, if my kids that go to college today, their experience is going to be so much different than my experience because I was able in, in a college setting in a political science uh, um, department, I was able to challenge, ask questions, bring up things that are hard and not fear that I was going to have any sort of reprisal for asking questions, saying things out loud that, um, that, that I don't, that don't make sense to me. And, and, you know, even in my, my school that I went to um, there were five or six professors and let's just say there were six and out of the six, five of them I would categorize or four of them I would categorize as kind of like progressive socialist type mentality. One of them I would consider as just like a, a traditional Democrat, liberal Democrat. And one was like a libertarian ultra conservative. So it was like very bizarre, the, the kind of the dynamic, but not one of those professors would ever judge me or, or, you know, look at me as less than by asking different questions that challenge what they personally might believe. Right. And I'm, I'm sad that I feel like we're, our society's come to that point where it's, you gotta be careful what you even ask, what questions you even ask. Cause, cause you might get, you might find yourself, you know, reported on Facebook. maybe. Yeah. Oh, that's misinformation. You can't say, (laughs) you can't say that. Yeah. So this whole, I mean, this past really, um, really since Donald Trump was elected president and from 2016 on, it feels like we've been in this weird, um, I don't want to use the word downward spiral because I don't know if that's really the right way to say it, but we've, we've kind of gotten to a point where um, it's, there are right beliefs and wrong beliefs. And if you fall on the side of that's a wrong belief, um, you, you risk being, you know, quote unquote canceled or, or your information will be suppressed on social media. Cause it's not, you know, it's misinformation or disinformation or whatever, when really what, what makes our society great and what makes America 
still the, the only, this is still an experiment. This is the only, only country that's ever existed the way that in our system of government that we have set up. And what makes it great cliff is the ability to have dialogue, to have discussion with people that disagree. Uh, I was watching last night on, on Twitter. This is where I get my news is Twitter. And, uh, I was, I was, uh, following, um, this debate that was going on, somebody's live tweeting, they were posting clips. It was fascinating. It was Ben Shapiro and Anna, I forget her last name. She obviously on the other side, she's kind of a liberal. Um, but what I, what was so encouraging to me was they were having a very robust, respectful debate. They vehemently disagreed with one another. They both presented their sides of the debate and it was a moderated thing. And, and I walked away thinking, I respect the hell out of both of those people. I may lean towards agreeing with her on some things and him on others, but it was so cool to see that that still exists because that's what I'm afraid of is if we lose that, if we lose in our country, the ability for freedom of expression without fear of reprisal um, or cancellation or whatever you want to call it or suppression of our, our viewpoint, if we lose that, I mean, this is hyperbole, but we lose, we lose our democracy. Yeah. I, 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 I see that perspective, uh, and you know, the, the, I've noticed a lot of things. Of course, the question is, you know, does is Twitter and Facebook, you know, and and Google and Apple App Store, you know, the fact that these people wield so much. If they take away the ability for certain people, uh, their platforms, does that mean that this discourse can't happen? Well, it certainly can't happen on those platforms because the people who own those platforms have deemed that to not go along with what their guidelines are, what right. their fact check, what well, whatever they call it, that is it. They own those platforms, and they get to choose who is or is not on you know it is not yeah. on them so yeah it, it, i dude i i i had some initial reaction to cancellation of a certain president off of platforms and stuff like that it's like but when it all said down to it, it's like man who am i to think that you know facebook really is the arbiter of all things i don't care it, it, I don't care yeah. how many lemmings are on the system and all this other stuff and blah blah blah. And it, it's not the only place to have public discourse, nope. uh, you know. And and Ooh. the fact the fact that somebody could, if they want to, go create an alternative platform that doesn't operate on the backbone of Amazon or Apple or Facebook or Twitter, then I think yeah. our country's still intact, um, you know, and and stuff like that. And so right. it, it's like. Here's what gives me hope. Yeah. So I think you're all that is correct. I think uh, the the challenge I think that people bring up and that I would tend to agree with is it's just like in um, it's just like in business and sales, marketing, whatever. How do you how do you get more clients? how do you make more sales? You go wherever your target audience is and you hang out there, right? You go hang around those people and, and you go where the market is. You don't, you don't go over somewhere else where you're, in other words, if you're fishing for, um, I'm not a big fisherman, but let's say you're fishing for tuna fish and you're doing so up in Alaska, you're probably in the wrong place. Cause I think that's where salmon and crab and all that are right. I'd have no idea. Okay, well, but, let's just, but let's play yeah. with that metetaphor. It's, it's, it's keep going. Yeah. 
if I'm fishing for tuna, I think I need to go to like the Caribbean, right? I think I don't I have know. no idea. And if I'm, so if I'm fishing for tuna in Alaska, I'm probably not going to catch any. And so the, but the whole idea, the, the analogy is because people are on those platforms, that's where people are. If I go start another one, it's like parlor, right? Okay. Parlor's out there, but who's on parlor? <laughs> like the, well, the, the, the people who want to be on parlor are on parlor. That, that's the thing. That, that's, yeah. Yeah, for me, that, that it, it, if you really, if, if those people went, if the people who have gotten canceled went over to Parler or they created their own thing like a Frank speech or, you know, or whatever those other platforms are, sure, are they going to have the same mass appeal that pe- is it easily shareable, blah, 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 all of that stuff? No, it's not. But the idea that, that Facebook or Twitter or these other things are required to give a platform to people that, they disagree with i th- these are private companies this is not a government agency yeah. and so you know private companies can do what they want and <laughs> it's it and some could argue it's like but man th- those who still are on the platform they have the bully pulpit now where only their narrative is getting out there and i'm like well that's not that's not the people who own the platform's fault that's not it, it's it's not our fault that everybody is a lemming and they live their life in a hypnotic rhythm and they believe that this platform and everything they see on it is true. We got bigger yeah. problems if that's the case. If people can't think for themselves yeah. and and they're only influenced by this or that, uh, then if if here's what I would say: if I believe that my point of view is an accurate point of view, and the opposite point of view is leading people to like in like immense suffering down the road. Well, then we as a nation deserve the consequences of allowing the news media and social media giants to determine how we think and feel and behave. I think you're right on though, because um, if you, when you say lemmings and, you know, sheep and things like that, I hate to say it, Cliff, but unfortunately most people no, I, I know and and, and, the, and there are consequences yeah. to that yeah and and again I, I and I'm not talking about I'm talking about on either side if the if if, if this was reversed completely and it in the all of these tech giants and and social media platforms and all of the internet backbones of Amazon s3 and app stores of of a majority of I you know mobile devices in the United States was owned by right-wing conservatives and they shut out and canceled the 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 progressive socialists or whatever you want to call that group i there's consequences either way and oh, for sure. and 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 i the i here's what here's what i love about the whole scenario is from my perspective it's not happening in a majority of people, but there has been what I call the great awakening. And there are people who are waking up for the very first time. I was like, oh my gosh, whoa, holy crud. I'm finally seeing the hypocrisy. Yeah. I'm seeing the corruption. I am seeing I am seeing things that I, and, and now as a result of waking up, it's like, oh my gosh, this didn't just start with COVID. This didn't just start with Donald Trump. This didn't just start all. And it's there's an, it's like, oh my gosh, this, wow. And it's like, how much 
have I just accepted into my life? And they're reevaluating everything. And, 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 and if anything, I'm excited about what has happened because yeah. of those who are waking up. And, and you know what? It doesn't, you don't have to have an audience of hundreds of thousands or millions of people following you on any of these platforms to make a difference in this world. Because one person has woken up can mm-hmm. run into another person and say, have you ever thought about this? Have you been asking questions? Have you been experiencing any sleepless nights? And have you found yourself overwhelmed with fear because of this? And have you found yourself changing the way you behave because of this? Here's some things that, and then all of a sudden one person wakes up another person who wakes up another person who, and, and you know yeah. what? The, the, the silent people out there who, the, the, this awakening stuff is not happening in the public, although it is in some public spaces. Um, but man, I'm seeing some major conversations happening offline, out of the yeah. public view, where people can't be canceled. And dude, that's where true messages spread. Because I, th- I think about the right. one of the yeah. biggest messages that ever got spread was the message that Jesus brought, right? And dude, those people got canceled. You know, mm-hmm. and they didn't just get booted off of Facebook. I mean, some of them got nailed to a cross. Yeah. And I'm not talking about just Jesus. I mean, several of the right. uh, it's uh, people were put to death, and yeah. and every time they were canceled and and persecuted, it only caused people to wake up and grow the message further, and and it still goes today. So. I, yeah. I I once kind of got it's like oh man I hate to really I'm really sad to see all of this you know cancel culture and all this other it's like no it, it dude you guys keep doing it like double down on your canceling people this is the greatest thing you can do because there are going to be millions who wake up, up as a result of this yeah I mean look at like uh, there are people that really are inspirational to me who have kind of fought back against that whole, you know, cancel culture, if you will. Um, people like, I mean, you've heard of Barry Weiss, 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 I don't know how you pronounce it. I have but not. She's a prominent, prominent uh, journalist with the New York Times. And this was, it's been maybe a little over a year. I think it was like summer of last year, right in the middle of COVID and the George Floyd riots, like all that stuff that was going on. And she publicly resigned you know, you can search her name and, and, uh, she's got a very like big Substack following now and a wonderful podcast. And that's, plug. Yeah. That's another thing is Substack and podcasts are still big. I mean, you could get canceled yeah. from iTunes, but still that doesn't cancel your podcast. Right. Have you seen that happening? I haven't seen any, I haven't caught wind of any podcasts being canceled. Yeah, there, it was a couple of years ago. I can't remember who it was. It was one of the really super ultra conspiracy theorist, right wing people. Alex Jones type guy. It's one of those guys got completely wiped off of iTunes. It's like, listen, you're done here. And so they banned yeah. that person from iTunes. But that person, I, I have, by the way, I still don't know who that person is. I couldn't say that person by name. I, I don't think it was Alex Jones, but yeah. Um, but yeah, there was a super ultra right wing conservative person that got banned off of iTunes. But uh, yeah. you know, that, that feels like there's still some of that 
freedom of expression on podcasts, like you said. I mean, so so she publicly resigned, Barry did, and then um, and the reasoning was in essence that her her editors and 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 the folks behind the scenes weren't allowing her to be a journalist. Like she wanted to follow the the story and ask these questions, and it didn't fit the narrative, and so therefore, you know, her her work was stymied. So she's like, I'm out. Like you've lost journalistic integrity. Like if I can't be a journalist, I'm out of here. And she's got, you know, a really robust following now. And her podcast is amazing. It's called honestly, um, very, very well done. And so people like her though, really give me hope because, you know, it seems like it's one-sided, like you've got the left side of the aisle that is controlling things and canceling people and, and, pushing a specific narrative, but I don't think that's entirely true. You talk about people coming awake. You've got people like her who are identify as a liberal Democrat, right? And, and she's like, Hey, wait a minute. This is, you know, this is all, this is effed up. Like we need to hold on a minute. If the, if the roles were reversed and this side of the aisle was being canceled and, and suppressed, uh, we probably wouldn't be cool with that. Right. And, and I'm the same way. Like if this were, if, the, if everything was reversed and Donald Trump were in office and he was orchestrating, Hey, we want to silence these people. We want to suppress this information. I'd be just as uncomfortable uh, as if what's going on now. Right. Because I don't think any of that should be happening. I think that's, again, the freedom of expression is what makes yeah, these but, ideas, but even these still ideas the surface, but even still, if Mark Zuckerberg were an ultra right wing conservative and he had billions of people on his platform, it's still up to him whether or not he wants to get rid of all left wing liberal progressives. I'd, I agree. That's I'd still true. I'd still argue for his right to to do that. I would still argue for Jack Dorsey's right to get rid of every if he was an ultra conservative. It would still be his right to shut it. It would if I was if if it if Tim Cook was an ultra right wing conservative, it would be his right to kick every app that promoted uh, um, the uh, the leftist agenda off of the platform. I, these are these are private companies. There has been now I'm very, very not well versed in this at all, but I have I have seen some interesting arguments made by folks that are smarter and understand this sort of the legal side of it. Um, Some arguments made that the social media, the way that social media companies are categorized over over the last several decades, it's morphed into that that they probably should be categorized in the same vein as a traditional news outlet. And they're not right now. Right. And I don't know that I agree with that, but I have seen some interesting. Yeah, I've, I've seen that too. There, it, it, there's cert, like certain FCC rules. Regu- exactly. Yeah. But, but it, here's the thing. They're private companies. If anything, this only inspires innovation and taking the people who have been canceled and said, let's go create our thing and let's create mm-hmm. it bigger. Let's create it better. And, 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 it is. It, it, I like the competition. I just don't. I just don't want the government get involved in social media and and all this other stuff. Let let you know. And I know that, that there are a lot of people. They, they get their news from the mainstream media, which is the television and newspaper outlets, or they get their news from social media platforms. And it's like, yeah. dude, it, it. You gotta understand. Everybody's got a point of view. Everybody's got a perspective. And everybody genuinely believes what they believe is the right thing. And they're going to do everything to persuade you. And so just know that everybody's got an agenda. 
we all have an agenda. It's true. And yeah, if you view life and, and information through that lens, you're far less likely to be bamboozled by a point of view be, or, or, or a platform or a news organization because you can view it through the lens of, well, hold on a minute. There's information that's being presented to me. And then there's also analysis that's going along. There's opinion. There's a, there's a slant. There, the way that the information is being presented is not unintentional. It's very much intentional. Yeah. Uh, and, well, and that's what I say. It's like, just, it's like, man, I just hope people just start waking up and say, listen, is it okay for me to think for myself? And why is it now that I'm asking questions, people are angry at me? Mm-hmm. And it's like, hmm, this doesn't feel right. Something's going on here. Why, why is there a terror threat? Because I question whether or not there was an insurrection on January 6th. Or if, you know, why is there a terror threat? And why is Facebook asking my friends if I, what were the, do you remember those three things that the Facebook thing says? It's like, hey, report any of your friends who question yeah. this, who question this, who question this. It's like, man, yeah, why? Stream beliefs or whatever. Yeah why, yeah. why, why if I ask a question about, oh, election integrity. So yeah, yeah, if, yeah. if I, if I have, if I express that I have doubts about the integrity of our most recent election, why is our social media platforms asking my friends to report me for said belief? And why is this listed under a current terror threat? That should wake me up to something. Let me think about this. Why can't I just ask the question? I'm not saying that it's that I'm right. Right, but why exactly. would I be reported under domestic terrorism for asking the question? This is crazy. And well, I'm in that same vein. Like, I don't know if you saw this was a day or two ago, but um, the attorney general of the United States has by under advisement of an, an, an influence of the national school board association. I think so the, this, governing body, not a governing body, but a, an, an association of school board uh, members that it's kind of like they're, you know, it's their group. They're not governed by it, but it's, it's their affinity group, if you will. And, uh, and this net NSBA recommended to the, to the Biden administration that we need to look into classifying these parents that are showing up at school board meetings and they're asking questions and they're causing trouble. We need to look into classifying these people as domestic terrorists. And the attorney general has agreed to pursue this. And see, I I think that's awesome. Hell is going on. See, I think that's awesome. (laughs) Double down on your cancel culture, double down on calling half of the country domestic or, you know, 30% of the country domestic terrorists, double down on it. More people will wake up. Yeah, it, I mean, it, that you know, we're in place because not to get into too much detail here, but I have a daughter in public school and the masking policies that came out, in my opinion, not not even just my opinion, but when I read the, the scientific CDC documents that were cited as to the reason for the policy, I'll just say this. The policy was completely asked night. It was that kids were going to wear masks while they ate lunch, take a bite put it back up. It's like, okay, we've gone too far, right? I'm not anti-mask. I'm not anti-vax. I'm none of that. But I just raised my hand and I said, what, can you explain this? Like I've gone through all the documentation that you, you 
cited. None of nowhere does it say anything about this. And it was, it's still in place. The policy's still there. It's, it's still a policy. It's, it's completely ridiculous, but because I'm making a stink, would I be classified as a domestic terrorist? Because I'm questioning these masking, right? right? Like, so yeah, that, that's a good that question. That's a good is, question to ask. Am I at risk of being, cl- I'm on their blacklist, you know, that, hey, this parent here, he's a problem. He's a troublemaker. He's domestic well, terrorist. And you know what? There, there's on. something to be said for those parents that go and, you know, they're so emotionally bent out of shape and right. you know yes. who I'm talking about. I, do. I don't, I, I still don't think, I don't think like, they're, okay. I do not think that they're in the territory of domestic terrorists. Uh, no. But come on, there are some of those people that are way out of line. They yeah. have lost touch with reality of how to influence anyone. And, right. and the thing is, is that the people who are putting this in place, I believe most of the people in our educational system who are making these decisions do so out of, you know, it's like, you know what, I'd rather, right? yeah, they're well-intentioned people. Uh, they're, they may not be scientifically informed in, in certain areas and stuff like that, but you know what, it's like, hey, worst case scenario is we're overprotective here, and, you know, I, that, mm-hmm. I'd rather be on that side of things. However, just imagine if, imagine if 70% of the parents got together and had a peaceful town hall and recorded mm-hmm. it and 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 then published it on multiple different outlets and said here here's what we think as 70% of the parents of this school district and right. it is completely peaceful everybody had was could you imagine what that and then just like okay and here share it and of course th- th- some would argue well nobody's going to hear it because it would get shut down on all the social media platforms but you know what i think there is a way that if if it was done in the right way, it could get the attention it deserves. Right. Yeah. I think you're. Yeah. You're right. That's that's the only way to navigate where we're at in in society right now. We we've it's it's almost like um, if you don't hold the beliefs that are the the common narrative right now, the only way to to really get that out there is to have these sorts of conversations like we're having, right? Like we, we don't need to necessarily get into Facebook debates. I don't know if you've ever done that. I've been sucked no. in a time or two. Not and once. Every time there's not one time that I got sucked into one of those. And I was like, man, I'm really glad I made my point. Yeah. I, <laughs> in fact, most of the time I'm like, can I go delete that? Like this was totally yeah. a waste of time and effort and energy. And yeah, it's not, it's not the place. Well, the the one thing that I learned, this is my favorite thing I learned from Tony Robbins. I will never be able to influence anyone that I'm judging. Meaning that if I judge what their beliefs are are wrong, I will never be able to influence them. So I've Good. learned to, you know what, I want to understand and appreciate this person's point of view. What can I learn that th- how can I understand the way they see the world so that I can understand why logically it makes sense for them to believe what they believe? And by the yeah. way, is there any point? Is there any possibility that I may be the one with the wrong perception here? I, I I've I've learned and desire I desire to go more into that route, and and I, I'm like, can I convince myself to actually see it the world the way they see it? Let me let me let me investigate this side of things. 
Um, because I, I know that there's been many things that I've adopted to be true. I, and I come from a, I come from a very evangelical, Protestant, fundamentalist, Christian, right-wing, ultra-conservative upbringing. So I have a lot of things that I never consciously decided to believe most of what I believed. But because of the yeah. first seven years of my life, I was in a theta wave brain state. And yep. I grew up in the environments that I just told you. Everything that I was told from the authorities in my life, I just adopted it. These people know the stuff. This is where I learned from. And I believe these things. But I've never critically thought about those things. And so, right. you know, I, it's yeah. like, man, let, let me go in and find out where this other perspective is. You know, do, do I just disagree with global warming because, well, that's what I've been conditioned to do is to disagree with global warming. Is there, is there something more about the environment here that I should be aware of? And, you know, I, 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 where I stand on global warming is I, I teeter back and forth on whatever the science is actually supposedly saying. But here's what I do know. The environment that we live in is pretty important. I do mm-hmm. know that there are some concerns about if we don't change the the food production uh, systems that we use in the world, we're we're using up some resources pretty quickly. And some, you know what? And, th- and those people who are progressive, pushing massive change in legislation that are whatever, it's like, hmm. I don't agree with how they're going about it. But man, I see some very valid points over on that side of the argument. I just hate yeah. that I, I just hate that it's tied in with so many other things. And I hate that they have never communicated these things in a way that appreciate and understands the world in which I grew up in. It's like, mm-hmm. why do you have to convince me I'm wrong and you're right? Why don't you convince me of what you believe what you see as a, a, a situation here? Is it possible that we can just get rid of what we consider to be the cause of this and look let's look at some real situations here and and can we find some common ground and i just don't see a lot of that dialogue happening but i think it i think it's what people are waking up to on both sides quite frankly you talked about some left-wing liberal people who are waking up and you got white wing and i i do see this i i see the i see a couple different potentials i see I see the potential for the next revolution and the fall of the, the next great government. Uh, you know, Rome didn't last forever. Uh, yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't know that the United States government and the two-party system can last forever. So that it could be the collapse of that. It could, this could be the, the great awakening that, that actually bridges the gap and, and modifies the way that this government runs in such a way that we're not at each other's throat and stuff like that. Who knows what yeah. happens? But here's what I know. I want to I want to do whatever is going to allow me not to see anyone as my enemy but to mm. see that we're all of the same making and that we're all children of God and we all have our perceptions we all are living in a world of a reality that we did not create we were handed down the reality from generation to generation to generation and we're dealing with what's called the mass consciousness of man I think you put it pretty succinctly right there that you want to live in a world or live in a society where you don't view anyone as your enemy. That's that's it. That's, that's, that resonates with me. I totally agree. There are, there are people that have, I mean, imagine it's like forgiveness and love. If that were the language we lived by, if that were, imagine, I'm not saying we have to preach Jesus. I'm not saying we have to preach Christ. 
Christianity. I'm not even saying we have to preach God in any form. But man, what if we taught forgiveness and love at every level? Change the world. That and 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 that's what I'm hopeful for. That's what I'm seeing a lot more of. You know, I I may not be doing this in in social media. I may not be doing this, but man, the conversations I've been able to have with people on on the, the, on any spectrum politically or and emo- socially or economically or racially or any other plat- man, the conversations I'm having they're so filled with hope and love. My favorite platform is Clubhouse, and I and and dude, <laughs> I'm having the most amazing conversations with people from all over the planet from every perspective. Let's do it. Let's lead the charge. Love and forgiveness, Cliff. If if enough of us jump on board like you and I have, uh, we can change the direction. I do believe that. I have I no enemy. I have That's no enemy. Hey, real quickly. So last thing here. You were a member of the Next Level Mastermind and worked with me through one-on-one coaching for 21 months. Yes. And there are some people out there who may be thinking about the Next Level Mastermind or engaging me in one-on-one coaching for, a let's just say, a one-year commitment. What would you say to somebody who is thinking about that but hasn't yet made the decision to go all in on it? It's very simple. Just do it. It is the best decision I made for, not even just for my business. Now, I know the focus is on business and that's important and it did impact my business significantly, but I'd say, Cliff, you've you've given more to me personally than I could ever pay you or thank you for in figuring out things about who I am and what my value is in this world and how I can show up in a spirit of love and forgiveness and, and hope if you're thinking about, will this add any sort of value to my business? The answer is yes, it absolutely will. But I'd say more importantly, your life will be transformed just by being in a group of people that it's the old adage that iron sharpens iron, but I don't even think that does it justice. You know, you've got yourself, Cliff, who you are probably the most generous person I've met and you truly love and care for the people that you are interacting with. There is no like, you're just checking the box, showing up and let's get through this and get on to the next thing. There's a saying that an older friend of mine says all the time, and it reminds me of you. And he says, be where your feet are. The meaning of that, of course, is we have all these things distracting us at any given moment. What would happen if you stopped all that and you just, you be present where you are and you are so, you're masterful at that. You're present in the group. You're present outside of the group. And so long-winded answer, if you're thinking about it or you're on the fence, I highly encourage you to make the leap. You won't regret the investment financially, but you will you will reap the rewards personally and professionally. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Mike, uh, for those who haven't uh, been keeping in touch with you, what are some of the places, podcast, website, social media, where, where do they find you? 
So probably the easiest way is the central hub. Um, my website is just mikeskiff.com. Um, it's a very, very simple uh, page that kind of shares what I'm involved with professionally and personally. I know I mentioned earlier, I committed uh, on this podcast, Cliff, that I was going to be doing more podcasting on my personal uh, podcast and sharing what I'm learning. So the easiest way to find that is just go to mikeskiff.com and you can find me there. M I K. E-S-K-I-F-F dot com. Mike, I appreciate you, my friend. We're, we'll need to get together again and have another long conversation. And maybe we'll do one that's not in a podcast to go even a little deeper. I love it. All right. Love talk you, to you Cliff. soon. Appreciate it. Thank love you. Love you too, brother. 